Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to remind us all that Scores Man got a tattoo. Here is the captain. And my next tattoo is going to say, it's good to be seen and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very excited to be featuring Dream Pillow by the insanely brilliant peeps over at Jackie O's. Dream Pillow is a hazy double India pale ale brewed with Citra, Equinot, and HBC 692 hops. What does that all mean? No one knows except for the good folks over at Jackie O's. But what I do know is this is a four and a half bottle caps beer all day and night. And I also know that these people Coming up, they are the best. So cheers to Doug down in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. And a big cheers to Brighton in Toledo, Ohio. Next, we have a cheers to Sarah in Louisville, Kentucky. And a big we like your jib to Emily in Frankfort, Kentucky. Here we go, Captain. Let's go to the big, great state of Texas and give a cheers to Sarah K in Denton, Texas. And last but certainly not least, we have a long-distance cheers to Helga and Victoria Gozo, which I think, Captain, is somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. So we have people listening all over far and wide, and for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. For all of our old episodes, check us out on the Stitcher app. They are free. And also check out our bonus show called Off the Record. If you're not following us on social media, you need to at Twitter, at Instagram, at Facebook, at truecrimegarage.com and that's enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime
November 29th, 2005, in Morgantown, West Virginia. A respiratory therapist named Sean Alt wrapped up his overnight shift at Ruby Memorial Hospital. Alt, who was also a firefighter, left the hospital and went home to shower before heading over to the Star City Fire Department to start his shift. Just after 8 a.m., Alt parked his truck in his driveway on Killarney Drive, about a mile from the hospital, and got out of his truck. A trained firefighter, he immediately recognized the smell of a house fire, but visibly noticed nothing wrong with his own home or his neighbor's houses. So he went inside, showered, and came back out at 8.20 a.m. The smell was still there. Puzzled, he shrugged it off, and he started his truck. He drove to the four-way stop sign at Killarney and Eastern Avenue. And as he stopped, he saw his neighbor from four houses down, Shelly Michael, and her silver Ford Expedition with its six-pack vanity plates. Shelly backed out of her own driveway, and she drove to the intersection, stopping at the sign directly across from Alt. Alt knew Shelly's husband, Jimmy Michael, very well. Alt and Jimmy attended respiratory therapy school together, and Shelly was a pediatric nurse practitioner in the same hospital that Alt worked at. But on this day, Shelly did not acknowledge Alt's raised hand wave. On that morning, Michelle Shelly Michael ignored Sean Alt and quickly sped off through the intersection, and that was that. But Sean's sighting of Shelly speeding away would soon change everything because this is a case of planned premeditated murder. Someone thought they could commit the perfect crime and get away with it. This is True Crime Garage and this is the case of Michelle Shelley Michael. Around 10.20 on the morning of Tuesday, November 29th, 2005, in the pouring rain, two utility workers, Monty and Rodney, were driving along Killarney Drive in Morgantown, West Virginia, when Monty told Rodney to stop the vehicle. Monty noticed that what looked like a house fire at number 545. Observing smoke pouring from an upstairs window, they called their dispatcher and told her to call 911. Monty ran to the house and banged on the door. He could hear the smoke alarms, and looking through a window, he could see that one of the ground-level ceilings had partially collapsed. Around this time, an off-duty fireman, Keith Summers, ran up. He too noticed that his neighbor's home was on fire. Keith called 911 and tried to see if anyone was inside the home. As he prepared to break a set of French doors at the rear of the house, an explosion shattered the upstairs window and flames shot out. It was a flashover. The time was 10.27 a.m. Well, and luckily, the fire truck was only about a mile away at this point. Yeah, the Morgantown Fire Department just happened to be very close. They were in the area when that call came in, Captain. So 10 firefighters arrived at 545 Killarney Drive, 
by 10.32 a.m. That's a five-minute response time. They kicked in the front door, and they observed that the flames were all on the upstairs level, so nothing on the first floor. The first floor was perfect, except for the room with the collapsed ceiling. Well, the collapsed ceiling is coming from the master bedroom on the second floor. That's correct. The master bedroom was in such bad shape with the fire that the firefighters could not enter the room. All they could do was stand at the doorway and spray the hose in and hope that the fire would die down. Right. The entire room was burned to a crisp, blackened. Every piece of furniture charred and destroyed. Firefighters stuck with it, though, training the hose on the bedroom and inspecting the rest of the house at the same time. One relief to everyone on the scene was there was no immediate sign that anyone was in the house. While this is going on, a man named Bobby Teets drove up to the home. Bobby and his wife Kelly were best friends with the residents of 545 Killarney Drive, Jimmy and Shelly Michael. Bobby and Jimmy worked together at Jimmy's new company. This is Mountaineer Home Medical Supply. And they also coached their son's football team together. Shelly and Kelly were also close, both coaching their daughter's cheer team. Bobby drove over to the Michaels' house that morning because no one could figure out where Jimmy Michael was and why he had not shown up at work. Right. He was always at work by 7.30 a.m. He's the kind of guy you can set your watch to his schedule, his work schedule. And in fact, on that morning, Captain... Jimmy had an important installation appointment that morning, and he missed it. So this is something he certainly would not miss as a successful businessman. And he was not answering his cell phone as well. Bobby told the deputy fire marshal on the scene, this is Lieutenant Tennant, that he thought Jimmy might be inside the home. Now, they looked in the garage, and sure enough, Jimmy's vehicle was inside. Right, and the other problem is the hottest spot or the most damaged spot is the master bedroom, and who would sleep in that? Mm -hmm. The husband and wife. Yeah, so the lieutenant radioed to stop the firefighters inside from wrecking the scene and told them to start looking for a body. Now, crawling on the burned-out floor in the pitch-black room filled with smoke and steam, the firefighters made their way to what little was left of the actual bed. By this point, it's just going to be the, the springs left of this mattress in the Man. frame. And there on top of the bed was a very badly burned body. So badly burned that it had no hands, the lower legs were gone, and the skin was gone as well. Wow. All that was recognizable as actually human was teeth. Presumably, Jimmy Michael, this is his body. It almost seems like there was some kind of accelerant used in that room. So now, this went from being a house fire call to a death investigation. At this same time, Jimmy's wife, Shelly Michael, arrived on the scene. Now, let's give a little background information on some of these characters that we've already introduced. Michelle Goots was born to Michael and Kathy Goots on January 29th, 1972 in Clarksburg, West Virginia. She was a go-getter from the beginning. 
straight-A student, a competitive cheerleader. At just 100 pounds, she was a tiny bombshell running track, playing basketball, and swimming on the swim team. She was the president of the National Honor Society chapter at her school, serving on the yearbook committee, student council, key club, Spanish club, and manager of the school store. She did all the stuff that you and I failed to do. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, speak you for were, yourself. You were the manager of the school store. No, no I, ne- I never, I don't even think I went into the school store four years of high school. So with all of this activity, it's easy to see that she was Miss Popularity and voted most likely to succeed. Shelly, who she would later become known as, that's her nickname, Michelle Goots became Shelly Michael. She went on to cheer at West Virginia University where she found herself pregnant by her boyfriend while she's still a student. And the boyfriend was a fellow student as well named Bruce Atkins. Even though she and Bruce broke up, Shelly had the baby, a boy named Alec, and continued to be enrolled at the WVU nursing program. She then met Rob Angus, and they married in 1995. So Rob adopted Alec, her son, and Shelly became pregnant again. At eight and a half months pregnant, she was caught shoplifting a baby pumpkin Halloween costume. And it was the second time that she had been caught stealing from a store. I guess the first time was a like a minor infraction back when she was a juvenile. After having the new baby, Shelly landed a coveted job as a nurse in the pediatric intensive care unit at Ruby Memorial Hospital. Her marriage to Rob was rocky, and Shelly soon got a reputation for flirting with the men at work. She was notorious for doing backflips in the hospital hallways. Always very professional when you see that. Yeah. She a little desperate too. Yeah. She enjoyed showing off and she, by everyone's accounts, loved the attention. All the beautiful women out there. You don't have to do backflips to get a good guy. You know how hurt I would be if I tried to do a (laughs) backflip. Her supervisor, Stephanie Michael, recalled that Shelly was all about flirting at the hospital. And Stephanie would soon learn that Shelly wasn't just flirting. In fact, Shelly set her sights on Stephanie's husband. This was Jimmy Michael, a respiratory therapist. Great. Stephanie and Jimmy were already having marital difficulties. But when he met Shelly, it was all over. They shared shifts at the hospital and Shelly taught Jimmy, who was a big guy over 220 pounds, how to throw her up in the air and catch her cheerleader style. So you can picture what's going on in, behind the scenes at this hospital. Yeah, maybe the, these people need to spend more time trying to save people's lives than do gymnast tricks. Practice on finding that vein rather than backflips yeah. in the hallway. So they're doing, they're basically these two behaving like cheerleaders behind the scenes at this hospital be aggressive passive aggressive so jimmy and shelly progressed to a full-blown affair very quickly jimmy became infatuated with shelly both marriages no surprise here disintegrated soon after this and shelly and jimmy moved in together so stephanie and they still have to work with this lady they have to work with everybody but it's it gets even more interesting stephanie who continued to work with shelly at the hospital started dating shelly's ex-husband rob angus what yeah it's like a 
like a wife swapper in this co- in this situation, maybe a husband swap. Double dipper, nipple liquor. Something. Shelly and Jimmy quickly married, and Shelly banned Jimmy from any contact with his ex, Stephanie. All right? I yeah, can- because the most jealous people are, are the ones that cheat. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is going to be difficult, too, because, as you said, Captain, they all still work together. All communication between the two of them. <laughs> Hold on. They're, they're a couple wine coolers away from just all having sex with each other. Well, according to what I could find, all communication between the two of them, this is Jimmy and his ex, Stephanie, they have children together. Right. All communication between the two of them had to go through Shelly. This is one of Shelly's rules. Now, Shelly had two kids, a boy and a girl, and Jimmy had a boy and a girl as well, all about the same age. But that's also the other problem, is if he was cheating on his wife when he met you, then for the rest of the time while he's with you, you're going to be thinking he has the ability to cheat on me. Correct. But, I mean, obviously everybody's doing this kind of behavior. Doesn't make it right. So Shelly focused on integrating the two families, you know, kind of like a modern day Brady Bunch. Because of the respective custody arrangements, this is several days a week, the Michael household, Jimmy and Shelly, consisted of a blended family of six people, the two of them and the four kids, two from each previous marriage. And Shelly wanted to project a certain image for their family. She pushed Jimmy to buy a large house that she wanted. She dressed the children and herself in designer labels. She volunteered at all of the kids stuff, always taking charge. The family went to church every Sunday, dressed to the nines. According to Jimmy's father, Denny quote, she meaning Shelly wanted everybody to think they were the perfect family End quote, Shelly arranged for Jimmy to pay for her to get her master's degree in nursing, even though it meant he had to take on more work to have better income. I wonder if she was shocked when she got to church and they said, thou shall not covet the neighbor's wife. Well, Shelly ended up getting her master's degree and was offered a full-time job at Ruby Memorial in the pediatric unit. It seemed it was everything that she had ever wanted. Jimmy started his own respiratory therapy company, and it was doing well. But then Shelly balked at the concept of working full-time. She expected Jimmy's new business to start making lots of money very quickly. She was disciplined by her job at the hospital a number of times, and this was for taking unauthorized vacations. I call that a no-call, no-show. <laughs> unauthorized vacation. (laughs) Shelly started to look for different work, something that she could do while staying at home. She wanted to work from home and be with the kids. By the way, next week I have an unauthorized vacation. Right. At least you're telling me about it. We've already introduced the Michael's close friends. Remember Bobby and Kelly Teets. I never forget Teets. Shelly and Jimmy's exes, Stephanie and Rob dated for a while. But they split up and both married other people. So this is this is a little bit confusing to follow here because it feels like this hospital is almost a few episodes of, of The Bachelor. Right. Shelly also had a best friend named Renee, 
who lived in another state, and both Shelly and Jimmy had parents who were very close with them and active in their lives. Jimmy's parents were Pastor Denny and Mom Ruth Michael. Shelly's parents were whom we've already introduced, Kathy and Michael Goots, who divorced when Shelly was in college. So now we have the background of everybody. Back to the scene of the house fire. You might have the background, but I'm <laughs> I'm confused. The important things to make mental note of here is this. It, hide, your, hide your husband. The two hooked up, divorced their exes, and they're trying to have this blended family. Each brought two children with them to the family. The, their close friends are Bobby and Kelly Teets, who both Jimmy and Shelly are very close with. At the fire scene, Captain, we have Bobby Teets, good friend, showed up to his buddy's house and alerted firefighters to the fact that Jimmy was missing. While they started to search for Jimmy, Bobby tried to call Shelly, who was on duty at her job at the pediatric department at Ruby Memorial. He could not reach her, so he called his own wife, Kelly, and asked her to try while he himself checked in with Rob and Stephanie to make sure there were no kids in the house. Right. And thank God there were not. Right. All four kids actually spent the previous night out of the house. They were with their their other parents. Mm. So Kelly called the hospital and had her friend Shelly Page. When she got her on the phone, Kelly said, your house is on fire and no one can find Jimmy. Shelly said, oh, my God, hung up and told the clerk, her boss, I have to go. My house is on fire. The clerk's name is Nancy. She later said that Shelly seemed emotionless as she stated this very matter-of-factly. Before Shelly left, Shelly called her husband. Well, hold on. In defense, how would you react? I mean, who who knows how you'd react? Somebody called me and said, your house is on fire. It's like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Even if I run out of here with a fire extinguisher, I'm not going to be able to put, put the fire out. Well, but there are going to be a set of circumstances that are going to require us to reflect on all of these little right, I think bits as, of information. Well, I think as a parent, the first thing is, where are the kids? Oh, I know the kids are safe. Okay. Things can be replaced. So I'm just saying I just don't think that's uh, the most damning of evidence. So before she left, she attempts to call her husband Jimmy's cell phone and left a message. The message was, Jimmy, where are you? I just heard that our house is on fire. Where are you? Call me back. Eh. So Shelly leaves work. She arrived at home and found her ex-husband Rob and her friends Bobby and Kelly Teets waiting there to comfort her. Jimmy's ex, Stephanie, and other friends and family soon arrived. It was chaos, as anyone would expect. Shelly seemed despondent, according to accounts, saying over and over again, find Jimmy and tell God to give Jimmy back. But the weird thing was, although she was described as visibly in shock, no one saw Shelly Michael shed any actual tears, any real tears. The detective arrived on the scene at 11.18 a.m. 
and he met with the lieutenant from the fire department to review the fire damage and see the body they discovered on the remains of the bed. Now, the lieutenant told the detective that there were some very interesting and strange things about the fire. There were red flags. First, only the bedroom, only the master bedroom was burned. The rest of the house was unscathed. Second, the body they found, which at this point you're presuming it to be that of Jimmy, it was prone on the bed as if he slept through all of the smoke alarms, the smell, the blaze, the heat, the whole thing. Right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, not at all. And Jimmy's parents, Denny and Ruth, were called by Kelly Teets, arriving at their son's home after noon on that day. Now, after being told that Jimmy was dead, his father, Denny, demanded to see his son's body and actually charged the front door when he was denied this request. And he was so infuriated that he punched a police officer in the eye and had to be restrained. He and his wife, Ruth, went to find Shelly, their daughter-in-law, to commiserate over their tragic loss. And Denny found Shelly being comforted at a neighbor's home by her sister, Jennifer. Denny hugged her and thanked her for loving his son, to which Shelly responded, quote, I wish I would have loved him more. One of Jimmy's best friends from childhood arrived on the scene, and he's trying to comfort Shelly. And I bet he is. <laughs> when he went to express to her his condolences, she looked at him and said something to the effect of, did you get that outfit at B. Moss? So this person's very taken aback. It seemed like a, a very weird question. I'm guessing that's like a clothing store. Yeah, I've I've not heard of it, but I mean, I mean, picture this is supposed to be a, a horrible, tragic day. Again, no one knows who, how any of us would react, right? But it seemed to be very bizarre that she would be asking about someone's outfit. And one neighbor asked Shelley if she could get her anything. Shelley's response was a new husband. So I, you know, who knows? Jesus, just just bizarre behavior. I I don't care what anybody says. I'm fine judging someone's behavior. The unrecognizable body on the bed at the Killarney Drive home was definitively identified by dental records at 4:05 p.m. that day, and of course, sadly, it was that of Jimmy Michael. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it 
at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. 
Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Alright, we're back. Welcome to another episode of Wife Swap. Of The Bachelor. The Bachelor. Get your roses out. That's right. Me and the Colonel are going to be handing out roses to all the ladies. And kicking people out of the house, left Mm -hmm. and right. Yeah. So the detective on the scene, Captain, was able to do like a quick initial interview with Shelly. This is as she's sitting at the neighbor's house. Now here's what Shelly told the detective happened in the hours leading up to the fire. The detective wants to know and start putting together a timeline on everything. Right. She said that Jimmy spent the Monday night, this would be November 28th, hunting in Pennsylvania with his father. And then he coached his son's basketball practice that night until 9 p.m. His co-coach for the son's team was his ex-wife Stephanie's new husband, Dan. Uh, Dan and Stephanie had the kids that night and Dan and Jimmy made arrangements for handing off the kids on Wednesday. Jimmy then went home after coaching the basketball team. It was pretty late and he was very tired. Shelly says when she got home, she found Jimmy lying on the couch watching Monday night football. They joked a little bit about him shooting. I guess he, he only shot a doe and not a buck on the trip. Jimmy then went to bed and Shelly stayed up watching a cheer competition DVD. Both sets of kids, again, were with their other parents on that night. At 5.15 a.m. on Tuesday, Shelly got up. She kisses her sleeping husband, Jimmy, on the forehead, and she gets ready for work. She noted that the iron was on the ironing board in the bedroom. Shelly arrived at work at 6.30 a.m. This is half an hour early. She tended to patients, spoke with several co-workers, and called Jimmy's cell phone and left a message at 7.24 a.m. This is one of our very first clues that something is not, not right here, in my opinion. At 7.24 a.m., she leaves the following message. She's asking Jimmy to pack the kids a lunch. Keep in mind... This is even though they were not staying at their home or at their house that morning. Yeah. But I could see it being. Maybe you get busy. Some weird thing where the parents forgot, the other parents forgot. So somebody needs to pack them lunch or bring them lunch money or something. But still, that's a little strange. So she says then she tried calling the house phone after leaving the message. She gets a busy signal. So then she goes to her vehicle to retrieve her pager. This is sometime around 8.20 a.m. She told her supervisor that morning 
that she forgot her pager, left it in the car. I got to go retrieve it. She needs this for work. Then she got the call from Kelly Teets telling her that the house was on fire and no one could find or locate Jimmy. This was around 1030 a.m. Okay, so the detective noted some strange things as he spoke to Shelly. He found the following about Shelly while talking with her and observing her. And these were from his notes and his observations. He says that Shelly wanted to be the center of attention. She was more concerned about herself than her dead husband. She wasn't asking the right questions and she had not cried, not even for a second while in the presence of the detective. Of course, this this lady wants attention. She's doing backflips at work. Well, now that it's established that Jimmy was deceased, the detective is going to sit down with everybody in that circle, that cast of characters that we introduced you to, and interview them one by one. And here is what he learned from those interviews, that the marriage seemed to be in quite some trouble. Shelley had stopped sleeping with Jimmy, and Jimmy was vocally not happy about this. He's telling other people that the marriage is on the rocks. And then he relays this story. Someone mailed one of Shelly's sweaters to Jimmy. And it had a note attached to it that read, keep your whore wife away from my husband. So she's cheating again. Mm. Or at least someone's accusing her of such. Yeah, well, why would she have her sweater? I don't know. But Jimmy talked to several of his friends about this. He asked for advice from his pastor, and he was actively collecting and gathering some names of divorce attorneys. Well, the difficult thing, this is not that many years after he left his wife for Shelly. Jimmy's new business was doing very well, but not well enough that Shelly could stop working. And Shelly did not want to work. This is according to her circle of friends and family. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. She wanted to, you know, shop, get her nails done. Well, you know what? I want to be an astronaut, okay? But not everything is possible. Well, and then we have to compound that with we know she's in trouble at work. She's already, you know, she's had trouble with her with her boss. She's been taking these unauthorized vacations. She's probably trying to sleep with all of her co-workers' husbands. Well, the day that Jimmy died on that Tuesday was Shelly's first day back at work. This is after three weeks off for a quote-unquote knee injury. After falling down the front porch steps and taking three weeks sick leave from work. Now, during that time that she's off of work to nurse her knee injury. Well, it's like, why go to work if you can't do backflips? She managed to take her daughter out of state to a cheer competition, to multiple cheer competitions during this time. I get it. You can drive and you can still be a parent while injured. Maybe you can't go to work. But I think what the implication is here is that she may have needed time off from work from her shifts so she could take her child to these competitions. And sounds like she wanted to be a cheer mom. And so possibly she faked this injury to get a few weeks off of, of work. Now, Shelly was mean to Jimmy's son, Drew. This is by the accounts of others in their circle and said that he picked on him incessantly to the point that others took obvious notice of this. Yeah, that's not cool. 
The other thing that the detective learned was that Jimmy did not drink alcohol or do drugs. The couple purchased a $500,000 life insurance policy on Jimmy just six months earlier. Shelly knew about the policy and, in fact, was the sole beneficiary of this policy. Jimmy's cell phone was found on the counter in the kitchen of the home on the day that he died. And everyone the detective interviewed told him that Jimmy, especially being a business owner, was never without his cell phone. Even while sleeping, he kept the phone on a nightstand next to the bed. Jimmy was a very light sleeper, according to others, and would never have slept through a fire. So the detective also spoke with Sean Alt. Now, remember, we talked about Sean Alt in the trailer for today. He's the neighbor who told the detective that he saw Shelly driving away from their home from Mike, from the Michael house around 8.25 a.m. And here's the kicker. The detective heard rumors from several witnesses that Bobby Teets, Jimmy's close friend, was having an affair with Shelly Michael. Oh. The two. Not Teets. Anybody but Teets. Wait, so, but I got a question. Shouldn't she already be at work at this point? Mm-hmm. So correct. So I'm I. I feel like she had to have some kind of ruse to her bosses or coworkers to get away from to leave work at some point. Well, you uh, you you would be a very good Sherlock Holmes there, Captain. Now, Bobby and Shelley. They were doing some kind of trying to start up some kind of small business together in their free time. They went on a business trip to Chicago a week earlier. And what the detective will find here is the two were visibly on video at the hotel kissing on surveillance footage. Mm. And many people, including Shelly's pastor and others, noticed that Shelly was constantly being comforted by and at times even holding hands or lying on a bed with Bobby while his wife and Shelly's friend, Kelly, dealt with the funeral arrangements for Jimmy. Mrs. Teets. Yeah, so they're not very, uh, Shelly and Bobby are not very discreet about their affection for one another. PDA. Fire inspectors looked at everything in the house to try to determine the cause of the fire. They, you know, they're going to look at all the normal things, water heater, wiring, the furnace, all were in good condition and it was relatively a new house. So right, they were like, like we already know though, the majority of the heat is coming from the master bedroom. So even correct. though you're going to check out those, those items, like I said, there's, there's some kind of accelerant or something used in that area unless they had, you know, some like gas heater or possibly like a, a gas fireplace or something in their bedroom. Yeah. The short of their investigation will be that the bed in the master bedroom was the epicenter of the fire. This meant that it was impossible that Jimmy had been asleep. So he didn't, he wasn't like overcome by smoke from a fire and then passed out. No, he was the fire. He Yes, yes. The fire was him and, and, and around him, immediately around him. You know, they, they couldn't really explain away why he would just be lying there on the bed. Now, 
Jimmy, basically, to put it as simple as possible, was incinerated. And according to a book on the case called Playing With Fire, quote, the body was so badly burned that the experienced fire investigator found it difficult to visibly separate it from the charred remains of the box spring mattress. One leg was completely missing and other parts of the limbs had burned away. There was a large hole on the left side of the chest near the rib cage where tremendous heat had caused a blowout, end quote. This, to the investigators, made no sense. Okay, so they don't believe that hole to be like a uh, shotgun wound or a gunshot wound. No, no. And the other thing, too, is, look, if the fire started in the bedroom with Jimmy and everything was normal, all he had to do was get up and get out of the room and then get out of the house. But, of course, we know that didn't happen. He just he was lying there. Right. Investigators could also, they couldn't determine any accidental cause for the fire. So, you know, Jimmy didn't smoke and there was nothing wrong with the home's wiring or the systems. They couldn't pinpoint a, a problem that would cause this, this fire. They also examined the iron because remember Shelly had told them that it was faulty, that the automatic <sighs> shutoff yeah. didn't always work. And remember she said, I think the iron was on that day. I look, I think people should just lock somebody up when they go, okay, yeah, I remember. What do you remember, Shelly? Oh yeah, I was I was in the I was in the bedroom and yeah, there was iron there and I damn this thing about the iron. It has kind of a short there's kind of something wrong with it. Anytime somebody's like trying to take that bread and lead it down that trail, just lock them up. Well, what they're going to do is the lieutenant lieutenant will bring in a state fire marshal with a canine unit named Brady trained to hit on accelerants and they walk through the Michaels home. And of course, the dog hit on 10 different spots, four in the pile of debris that fell to the living room. Remember, that's the ceiling from the master bedroom. Right, right. And hit on six spots in the master bedroom near the bed. So no doubt- It's the floor of the master bedroom. The fire was deliberate. Now, do we know what kind of accelerant gas? We do not. We do not, and we will not. Spoiler alert. Okay. The the problem here, though, Captain, for the fire investigators is that this fire behaved in an unusual manner. It burned for a long period of time, but never expanded beyond the master bedroom until the collapse of the floor and the flashover sometime around 1030 a.m. Right. They could tell this because the other upstairs rooms only displayed a little, just a, a tiny bit of smoke damage and really nothing else. It's it's so crazy how much fire can destroy evidence uh, the same way water can destroy evidence. Again, according to the book Playing With Fire, they state that the fire had to have progressed over a long period of time in a ventilation-limited manner. By the way, Playing With Fire is written by John Glatt. And by this time, Captain, we know that some of the people involved in this investigation know that Shelley had been seen leaving the house at 8.20 a.m. The fire did not erupt from the room until two hours later. So they had to wonder, the investigators, fire investigators, was it possible for a fire to smolder for two hours, incinerating just one room before finally flashing over? That's the unusual behavior yeah. of this fire. In life, Jimmy was six foot tall, 220 pounds after the fire damage his corpse weighed only 151 pounds. 
by some miracle, many of Jimmy's internal organs were intact and were available for testing by the medical examiner. Now, the good doctor was able to determine immediately that there was no carbon monoxide in the victim's system. This is incredibly important. And no soot in his airway, meaning Jimmy was not breathing during the fire. So he was. Meaning he's dead before the fire started. He's dead before the fire started. Yeah. And according to the autopsy, his death did not appear to be the result of any natural causes. His heart was perfectly normal and there was no sign of any kind of physical event that would have killed him. So then the doctor's going to certify the cause of death as quote, an undetermined homicidal act. Yeah. Because we, we wouldn't know because there's no skin. We don't know if there's puncture wounds. Mm -hmm. We don't know if there was blood on the bed because it was all burnt up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now we're going to have the detective who wants to figure out we have the wife telling us she was at work all day, but yet we have other we have an eyewitness who says he saw her leaving their home at 8:20. So he's going to go to Ruby Memorial Hospital. He's going to interview everybody there and he's going to start pulling surveillance footage from the hallways in the lobby of that hospital where Shelley worked. Here's what he ends up finding out. He sees Shelly Michael, you know, doing her hospital duties, doing her job. Well, she goes out the front doors of the hospital at 8.11 a.m. She then walked through the rain to an employee parking lot, started her car, turned on the wipers, and turned left out of the lot. This is onto Elmer Prince Drive, and then her and her vehicle are now out of sight from the surveillance cameras. Then he does not see her again on any of the camera footage until about 8.25 a.m. when he can see her silver expedition coming back into the parking lot, circling around and looking for a parking spot. Mm. She parked and walked under an umbrella back into the hospital, entering the lobby at 8.28 a.m. There were 17 minutes where Shelly Michael was unaccounted for. And remember, Sean Alt had seen her pulling out of her driveway during that 17-minute window. He says his clock said 8.20 when he saw Shelly Michael. Investigators set out to determine whether Shelly could have made it home, set the fire, and then returned to the hospital in 17 minutes. So they drove from Ruby Memorial Hospital to the home Remember, it's less than one mile. So every time they're conducting this test, the back and forth, the back and forth, their trip to get from the hospital to the house is always about four to five minutes. Right. Even if Shelly spent 10 total minutes driving back and forth, if you go to the, the, the latter part of that, she would have had up to seven minutes inside the house this to pour an accelerant in the master bedroom and light it. Investigators were able to replicate the drive within that window of time over and over and over again. Now, several people who knew Shelly found her actions to be very suspicious. And of course, we want to know why Jimmy didn't escape the fire. Well, like I said, I, I don't like the comment about the iron 
in inside the the master bedroom definitely don't like the comment that she made saying oh well now i need a new husband correct yeah nobody nobody wants to hear that at all one thing i find to be interesting here captain is some of the people on their inner circle found shelly to be so strange on the day that jimmy died that even before it was ruled an homicidal act they started providing information to the detectives that's not going to put Shelley in the greatest of light. Right. They basically, several of her friends or the couple's friends, put together a list and send it over to the detective. This is a list of drugs that Shelley and other hospital workers had access to at Ruby Memorial. The other thing, too, Captain, is the professionals seem to think that it was possible that Jimmy was poisoned with some kind of paralytic. And these are people that worked at Ruby Memorial. They said and named a drug recronium, I think is how you say that, recronium. Um, Somewhere out there, there's a medical professional laughing at me. This drug, this particular drug, is a paralytic, and it was readily available at the hospital where Shelley worked. Right. But we've already had the autopsy performed. Now, no narcotics were found in Jimmy's system. And an explanation for a paralytic required special testing. So samples of Jimmy's intact liver were sent to the National Medical Services Organization in Pennsylvania so they could do the test. We need to note here, too, some suspicious findings. A syringe was found in the sink in Shelly and Jimmy's house. Right. This syringe contained a large amount of ibuprofen and also an unidentifiable pink liquid. Mm. Now, the detective deliberately did not tell Shelly and Bobby that they are now considered suspects in the murder of Jimmy Michael. He has both of them come in for interviews, and he speaks with them separately. Shelly had no idea that authorities believed Jimmy to have been killed by this point. She and Bobby did not know that the detective knew about their affair either. Right. That's what you want to do as a detective. You're going to stack the deck against these individuals, interview them separately, and see if they are answering you in an honest manner. Bobby broke down immediately, confessing to the affair. So much so, he said that he even slept with Shelly in her own bedroom while their two kids, their kids were friends, uh, had a sleepover in the next room. Right. What a great guy. This is while Jimmy was away, I'm guessing maybe on a hunting trip or something. Yeah, great guy, great friend, great teats. Three days before Jimmy died, Bobby said it was just a fling and that he did not love Shelly and he felt terrible about it. In fact, he was going to reveal everything to his wife with an attempt to save his own marriage. I don't think we need to get into the whole interview with Shelly. This was videotaped. It was six hours long, by the way. Suffice it to say, she lied her face off to the detectives. And according to prosecutors, what prosecutors would later tell a jury, that they believed she lied over 100 times during the course of this videotaped interview. She lied about the affair. She lied about the Chicago trip and her activities on the morning that Jimmy died. 
She didn't know that they knew about her leaving the hospital and being seen by Sean Alt during the course of this interview. Of course she didn't. She told the detective that she had a theory of her own. And you've, you've <laughs> already kind she of does. pieced this together, yeah. that the iron must have caused the fire. She was worried that it was left on, may have fallen over, and started the fire. And she did not bat an eye when the detective informed her that the fire was now deemed an arson and that testing was being done to determine what killed Jimmy. She just asked what he knew and how he knew it. When she left the interview, she expressed indignation that she was even being asked these types of questions, that there was any suspicion on her at all. How dare you? How dare you? She was so mad about it that she called the detective later and asked to come in for a lie detector test. Yeah, that's that's never that's never smart. And and then the lie detector caught fire and blew up. And then she said, maybe that's how the fire started. So at her own request, a polygraph was set up for Shelly. Oh, my God. In the pretest, because they do like a little pretest interview before they hook you up to the machine. In the pretest, she lied a hundred times. In response to a question about what type of person she was, you know, describe yourself. She said, quote, I value honesty a lot. I've always tried to be very honest. Honesty comes first, end quote. <laughs> what a bitch. What a beautiful human being. Then they confronted her with the information about her vehicle leaving the hospital lot and returning 17 minutes later. She was adamant that she didn't leave the hospital until she suddenly remembered that because it was raining, she decided while I'm out there to retrieve my pager, I should move my vehicle to a covered parking area. She Uh hoped this would explain a way why they could see her vehicle leaving the lot on surveillance footage. She said that she definitely did not leave the hospital parking lot. She expressed concern that the polygraph would make her out to be lying when she in fact was not. So she decided, you know, she's the one says, Hey, I'll come in for a polygraph test. They're like, okay, cool. Come right in. And then, in the pretest interview, she then says, you know what? This polygraph test is going to make it look like I'm lying, even though I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to talk with you anymore. I'm not going to answer any more of your questions. Here's my attorney's phone number. So she lawyers up and shuts down. And did she say, by the way, I'm sleeping with him too. <laughs> right. I'm sleeping with everybody. But before lawyering up, She again tries to explain away. See, this is what we get. And we see this time and time again in these cases, don't we, Captain, where a detective will start to break down a witness or break down a suspect and where they might have been lying before. Now they start using other lies to cover up. Like, I'll give them a little bit of information. I'll admit to this or that, but I'm going to use another lie to explain it away. Yeah. So. When pressed, you know, they're saying, look, we know you left the parking lot. There's no getting around that. We have proof of that. Have you watched the interrogation tapes? Yes. I've watched portions of them. It's, it was six hours over the course of two days. I believe I would, I like bang on the desk. Listen here, you boner smoker. Tell me the truth. Tell me 
<laughs> well, she she came up with some story that she had to leave because there was something going on at her son's school. Like she had to drop off some paperwork or something. The, right. the story's a little confusing to me, but the basics of it is she had to leave for some reason that just popped up and she lied about it and stuck to her story because she was already in trouble at work and didn't want them to find out that she had right. an unauthorized leave for just a couple of minutes. Now, Bobby, the boyfriend the, uh, the that's, Teets. that's doing the affair, right. was cleared by police during their investigation of any involvement. This is after he passed a polygraph test. And more importantly, Bobby had an alibi for the day of the murder. He was sleeping with somebody else's wife. So between his confirmed alibi and him being honest with the detectives, finally, you know, he said he broke down pretty quickly and passing the polygraph, they believed that his innocence were sealed in the mind of the detectives. Yeah, but think about this a, a little bit as far as like uh, the whole true crime spectrum. Somebody like Chris Watts, for example, I mean, that guy, he lied for a while, but he didn't keep it up that long. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these cases where the females suspected of murder, they almost can take the lie to the grave. Like you see this like with Casey Anthony when they, uh, I work here. Okay, show us your office. They, she goes all the way to the office. Like, like what does she think? Like, Magically, like an office is just going to appear, you know, same way with this case. Yeah, there was a, there was an iron. I saw the iron and it had some faulty wiring. Maybe, maybe that's it. It's almost like the character off of Saturday Night Live from way back in the day where they go, oh yeah, that's the ticket, right? The well, I will refer you to Christopher Rock's studies on the difference between men and women lying. Okay. Uh, and I think that will explain away everything for you. Now, on January 9th, Shelley filed a personal loss claim amounting to $194,000 with Jake from State Farm Insurance. You know that you said Jake from Allstate last yeah, time. I, I have Allstate, and I confused the which two. Which I, I think I called you a dumb-dumb during that, but I never caught you, so I guess I was the dumb-dumb as well. Yeah, they only have 10,000 commercials of each a day. I don't know how anybody could screw I'm sure up. there's a Jake at Allstate. She ended up collecting $140,000. This is after she paid Wells Fargo, who owned the mortgage on the home, and now... She's going to be waiting for the half million dollar life insurance policy. And she thought she got away with it. Fire investigators pouring over the burn scene on their hands and knees on January 23rd found something they had missed before. About three feet under the end of the remains of the bed, this is buried under other burned debris, was a distinctive orange plastic item that had been protected from the fire simply because it was buried. This was a syringe cap. Shelley denied ever taking any drugs from the hospital, and there was no known reason for a syringe to be in the bedroom. Then in February of 2006, 
the final tox report came back from the National Medical Services. In Jimmy's heart, blood was found with large amounts of that recronium. Recronium. I'm not never going to be able to say that. Right. I can say it until you turn on this microphone. Right. That's how this goes down. Mm-hmm. The cause of death was amended to homicide by being intentionally injected by a lethal dose of this drug by another person. No one believed that Jimmy could have done this to himself. A warrant was issued for Shelley's arrest on charges of first-degree murder and first-degree arson. In March, she was indicted for both and entered pleas of not guilty. As if this was not enough, Captain, her parents posted her $450,000 bond for her, and she was required to remain on home confinement while she waited for her trial. So they put her on, you know, the the beautiful ankle monitoring bracelet. Yeah, it's not that far-fetched to think that possibly uh, Jimmy would be suicidal because his marriage is going bad, but his business was going well. But this is also kind of a, this is also a very strange way for somebody like him to take his life. And then that doesn't explain how the fire got started. Right. It it doesn't add up. It makes zero sense for that to logically play out. Yeah, because one scenario. thing I do know is a dead body can't start a fire. Correct. There's no, if you listen to the Billy Joel song, he never once mentions a dead body starting the fire. So during this time where she's supposed to be on home confinement with the monitoring bracelet, it was quickly learned that she violated her home confinement requirements time and time again, sneaking off several times. People reportedly saw her all over Morgantown regularly. By the time of her trial, it was determined that she had broken off the ankle bracelet six times, at least six times, and taped it back together. So at some point, the judge revoked her home confinement and Shelly found herself back in jail. This was one month before the trial. I mean, in all fairness, though, it's hard to do backflips with that those ankle monitors on. So the thing here, though, too, is we still have to explain away why the fire would behave in an unusual manner. Because you're going to have to take this thing to trial, present your theory to the judge and jury, right. and convince them that you... You know what you're talking about, and this is how you know that she killed her husband. So there were painstaking portions to this fire investigation. The investigators took samples of the carpet, wood, tile, paint, flooring, windows, bedding, and mattress from the master bedroom. They constructed six exact replicas of the bedroom down to each item of furniture, even the wall paint identical and the bathroom tile. This is just so they could burn them to determine exactly how the fire went down and why it was behaving in this manner. This was all funded by the ATF to the tune of $1 million. It was done in a giant hangar and took months The agency viewed this as an opportunity to study the nature of smoldering fires because the theory was that Shelly set the fire at 8.20 a.m., remember when she was seen leaving the home, and it did not destroy the home or even become noticeable until two hours later. 
it had to have smoldered but not gone out, but also not erupted into a full-fledged fire for quite some time. The test involved various conditions and accelerants, and three irons identical to Shelley's were used. Even with the automatic shutoff disabled, they never got the iron never got hot enough to cause a fire. So the iron theory is ruled out. It was determined that the headboard must have eventually caught fire, burned, and collapsed through the floor underneath it. Mm-hmm. The investigators tried different cycles for the heating and ventilation systems to try to replicate exactly how the fire had smoldered for two hours before combusting. Again from the book, quote, These tests all demonstrated that the fire's progress was directly related to the heating system going on and off. If the furnace had not been working at the Michaels house, the fire would have soon gone out. And if it had been turned up too high, it would have raged out of control within 30 minutes. They finally found the correct combination with the home HVAC system to set a cycle at 10 minutes on, 15 minutes off. They set the bed alight, closed the door. That's important. The door had to be closed for the fire to behave this way. Right. And allowed the air handler to cycle on and then off in that pattern. 10 minutes on, 15 minutes off. The fire smoldered, small flames glowed, and then two hours and 10 minutes into the burn, the headboard collapsed and burned right through the floor. They got the fire to act the exact way that it acted that day. Conditions were plausible in their house. Not only so much so, it was also 100% plausible that Shelly Michael could set the fire at 8.20 a.m. and the flashover didn't occur until 10.20, 10.27 a.m. Correct. So now we're at the trial. The trial commenced on July 9th, 2007 and would take more than two weeks with 37 witnesses for the prosecution alone. To sum up, here is the evidence presented against Shelley at her trial. They said Jimmy was killed with recronium, a paralytic that Shelley had access to and had administered to patients in the past. The fire in the Michael home was deliberately set in the master bedroom with aid of an accelerant after Jimmy was already deceased. Shelley left the hospital and was unaccounted for for 17 minutes on the morning that Jimmy died, in which time she could have got home and back and set the fire. Shelley was the sole beneficiary of a $500,000 life insurance policy on Jimmy, and if the house had been consumed by the fire, she would have got another half a million dollars. She was having an affair with Bobby Teets. She lied to police over and over again. So it is still a circumstantial case. Yeah. The prosecution showed the jury hours and hours of videotaped interviews with Shelly, where she is caught lying to detectives. They called a medical expert to the stand who dramatically plunged a syringe into a grapefruit to show how quickly the drug could be injected. It took less than one second for him to depress the plunger. And here is what the testimony was that would happen to Jimmy per the medical examiner. 
They stated that within one minute, Jimmy would start to feel muscular weakness. Within three minutes, he would be unable to stand. Four minutes, he would lose the ability to breathe as his lungs and respiratory muscles froze up. He would have been fully conscious and aware of what was happening, essentially suffocating as his blood oxygen was used up. Basically being tortured from the inside out. He would then lose consciousness and die. The total time for all of this to take place and Jimmy unable to do anything about it, 13 minutes. Wow. The prosecutor told the jury that their theory was that Shelley had injected Jimmy with the paralytic while he slept and then turned on the iron and left it where it would catch fire to the bed or some clothes or, or the floor or what have you. She then goes to work 30 minutes early. That's a red flag in itself. This woman doesn't like to go to work. And on this day, she's showing up early. Yeah. Now there's all the evidence she needs. She gets in there early and now she's, she's very visible, very loud and vocal. So people take notice that she is there. She leaves Jimmy a voicemail about the lunches for the kids who were not even at the house at that time. But by 8.10 a.m., the prosecution says Shelly started to get nervous that no phone call came in about the house being on fire. So she's already injected this guy. She's got to cover up her murder. So she had to drive home, set a fire more carefully using some type of accelerant, one thing that is interesting about the trial, though, and in her defense, as we stated earlier, Captain, the prosecution, at no time do they ever present what the believed accelerant that could have been used was. I found that to be a little a little problematic here. I but agree. Then she, with the you know flick of a lighter or what have you, the prosecution demonstrated this and because she closed the bedroom door behind her, she wouldn't have known to do this, but because she did, the fire failed to ignite and burn out of control and destroy all of the evidence that she was hoping would be destroyed. So the, the syringe, the, the syringe cap, um, and she was probably looking to collect the insurance money on the house as well. The defense tried to cast blame on others. They showed that anyone at the hospital could have had access to the drug, including Jimmy's ex-wife, Stephanie, uh, including Jimmy himself, who they tried to suggest that he possibly killed himself using this drug. Right. Uh, they pointed out that all of the evidence against Shelley was simply circumstantial. They called only five witnesses in her defense, and they did call Shelley to the stand. How many times did she lie on the stand? Well, let's get into that. Because once on the stand, she's going to tell an entirely new version of the events of the day of the fire. Yeah. One in which she actually stopped at her house and put some paperwork in the mailbox before heading back to work. So now she's got to explain away why Sean Alt saw her pulling out of the driveway. And that's the excuse or lie that she comes up with. Uh, she did say on the stand that she did not believe that Jimmy would have killed himself. But again, she's unaccounted for 17 minutes. She lied over 100 times to the detectives. And then, you know, she's a nurse. So she has some expertise in this area. Right. On the stand, they're going to ask her to describe 
what someone's slow death from this drug would be. And she says, quote, it would be horrible, end quote. But again, no tears, no emotion. After five hours on the stand, Shelley's attorney later said that she was absolutely, completely convinced that she had won. Well, she was wrong. Although it took the jury more than one day of deliberations, they unanimously found Shelley guilty of both murder and arson. Shelley very nearly got away with murder. I mean, think about it. If she had not closed the door to the bedroom, and if Sean Alt had not seen her leaving her house, things might have gone entirely different for her. What's shocking in her case to me is the arrogance she displayed throughout the whole process. And she really did not think for a minute that she would get caught. All right, what an interesting case. If you'd like to leave your thoughts on this case, go to our website, truecrimegarage.com. Click on the blog, leave your thoughts. And while you're there, check out our recommended reading page. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading this week? This week's recommended reading comes to us from longtime friend of the show, Jess, who helps us with research and such. And she really helped us out a lot this week on this case. For this episode, we relied heavily on the book, Playing with Fire, the true story of a nurse, her husband, and a marriage turned fatal by John Glatt. And it's available in paperback, Kindle, and on Audible. So if you want to dive deeper into this case, make sure you check out and read Playing with Fire by John Glatt. Check out that great title and many, many others at truecrimegarage.com. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't live. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aw, let me just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 